What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode, we're doing something a little bit different. What I am for right now calling a retro rewatch, where I rewatch an old game and give you my running diary of what happened that night. So without further ado, here's our first game. When your name's in lights, you'd better respond. Two nights ago, America's most celebrated athlete provided another vivid demonstration of why Jordan rules. You see the face on the TV screen Coming at you every Sunday See the face on the billboard That man is me On the cover of the magazine There's no question why I'm smiling You buy a piece of paradise You buy a piece of me In game one, Jordan hit Portland with a piece of history. A breathtaking display of marksmanship and flair. As he put it, not immodestly, just honestly, I even fascinated myself. Jordan for three! Yes! Game two hits the air. America tunes in wondering, what does Air Jordan do for an encore? This is the NBA on NBC. The 1992 NBA Finals. Tonight, game two between the Portland Trailblazers and the Chicago Bulls. That's right. I rewatched all of game two of the 1992 NBA Finals. We're going to talk about it, but first let me set the stage. MJ had an insane game one. He made six of ten threes. It's really truly one of the great finals performances of all time. He... Had 39 points, 11 assists, and the Bulls won by 33. No one in the Blazers played particularly well. Cliff Robinson did come off the bench and had 16 points on 7-14 shooting, but Terry Porter went 5-9, of nine, just 13 points. Drexler was really bad, 5-14, of 14, 16 points. No one else really got going. Buck Williams took one shot and was just disappeared with foul trouble in that game. And the Blazers looked like they were about to get rocked by MJ. So game two was a big one in Chicago Stadium. And the Blazers came out and set the tone early. Buck Williams scores inside the first play of the game. This would be a theme for the Blazers. Getting buckets at the rim and being aggressive, having their role players be really aggressive and effective. MJ still hit two of his first three shots and there was this kind of like, here we go again vibe, certainly on the broadcast and kind of in the arena from the uh, YouTube video I was watching. Uh... Early on, Pippen was a huge problem in transition. Not really scoring, but kind of just getting the Bulls out on the break and getting them easy buckets. 
And the Blazers just couldn't score outside the paint. And they didn't really shoot outside the paint. They had taken a lot of jumpers early in game one. And Adelman apparently told uh, someone on the broadcast that he thought that took them out of their rhythm. So in game two, there was obviously a concerted effort to get the ball inside. They didn't attempt a shot outside the paint for nearly nine minutes to begin the game. Some of that is just the way the world worked in 1992, and I think the rest of that is the Blazers really focusing on stuff. They actually did attempt one shot outside the paint in that first uh, nine-minute stretch. It was Drexler taking a rushed wing three over Jordan. He didn't really get going early in this game, but everyone else did. The one thing Drexler did do in the first quarter is an absolutely monster one-hand Statue of Liberty-style dunk all over Bill Cartwright and one. Blazers had three and ones in the first quarter related to them going to the rack. One funny thing that happened in this game that really illustrates that it was from another time is during the first commercial break, they go to one of those Jordan sit-down interviews that you see in the playoffs with big stars or whatever, and he's saying that he felt like he took too many three-pointers in game one. Uh, six made threes was an NBA Finals record. Ten attempted threes was an NBA Finals record in 1992, both the Jordan set and game one. And he said he took too many threes and it took him out of his game. Uh, really just an incredible time. Uh, just it shows you how different the world was. Uh, MJ had made 27 three-pointers during the regular season in 80 games. He basically made one three-pointer every three games. That's, that's basically how that math works out. So hitting six in game one was, for him, bad news? In any case, they come out of that timeout break, and the first sub off the bench is Cliff Robinson, who replaced Jerome Kersey, who had two fouls. And then at the first timeout, Danny Ainge came in and replaced Kevin Duckworth, and the Blazers go small. Right away, as soon as Ainge came in the court, he made a huge impact. He did his first three jump shots, and this would be a theme for the rest of the game. Uh, hilariously, Ainge pump-faked on a three-pointer that he, in you know modern times, he would just sidestepped and taken a wide-open top of the key three, but instead he stepped in and took a 19-footer, and then his third bucket, he had just like toes on the line, wide-open three, the type of thing you would get yelled at for now in the league, but truly it was a different time. Bulls had six first-quarter turnovers, MJ missed at least three very makeable mid-range pull-up looks, and the Blazers led 31-23 after one. This was a really good showing, particularly from Buck Williams early in this game. Second quarter starts a lot like the first, with the Blazers getting some hustle plays from their role players. Jerome Kersey was just doing Jerome Kersey stuff. Grabbed an offensive rebound that led to points and had a classic Duncan transition. Porter on the break to Drexler on the wing. Throws back to Kersey. Big old dunk. This looked like your classic 1992 Blazers for a brief moment. But other than that, the second quarter was a slog. Pippen and MJ were both way off on some makeable shots. The Blazers' offense was fluid, but it's kind of ruined by terrible shooting. And Portland's defense was solid, but kind of probably lucky. Like, they were playing hard, but they got lucky because MJ missed some, some brutal ones. Clyde had seven first-half assists. He wasn't scoring very well, but he was getting the Blazers involved. And the Blazers went up 54-45 at halftime thanks to an 80-foot dime right at the end of the half. MJ hit a left-wing jumper, banks in just a... Classic MJ pull-up, and then Terry Porter grabs the rebound out of the net, turns around and fires it one-hand baseball pass style to Clyde, who's in the other lane. It's basically an 80-foot pinpoint pass. Clyde holds off his man, scores with 0.8 seconds left, and the Blazers go up 54-45 at the break. MJ had 15 at halftime. He had had such a monster first half in Game 1 that 15 felt like a really small number of points, felt like he wasn't playing that well. 
Buck Williams had 13. He'd been great. Maybe the Blazers' best offensive player in the first half. And Clyde had 11. He hadn't played very well, but he still had 11 points because that's what stars do. So the Blazers went into the halftime locker room up nine. Probably pretty comfortable with where they were. We'll talk about in the second segment what happened when they came out of the locker room. But before we get there, I want to tell you about Postmates. Postmates is the food delivery service that doubles as an everything delivery service. So... Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free delivery, download the app and use the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's code LOCKEDONNBA for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. All right. So before the Blazers came out of locker room, before the second half started... There was this incredible halftime interview with Charles Barkley that I would be remiss if I did not re- did not recount right here. Um, so Barkley is somewhere on video conferencing with Bob Costas, who's in the studio, and Barkley says that they're asking him if he's going to request a trade, and Barkley says that he would consider it because uh, the East is too tough for the Phillies roster right now. He says it's too hard. He's basically saying he has to run away because the the competition is too hard. Does that sound like 50-year-old Charles Barkley uh, criticizing some players? He mentions the Celtics and the Cavs and the Bulls and the up-and-coming Hornets as teams that the Sixers just can't compete with. He asked about new Philly coach Doug Moe. Barkley kind of drags Doug Moe and says he's a perfectly good coach, but he won't help. And then he later tells Bob Costas that he's out of shape and, quote, has a bit of a pot belly heading into the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. Incredible Barkley stuff. Really incredible. The man was going to be a TV star well before his career ended. Uh, he did get traded that offseason and made the NBA Finals the following year, so it all worked out for Chuck. Back to the basketball. Very obviously, the Blazers, during the halftime, talked about getting out and run more. This was a team that excelled in transition, but didn't really get out to run very much in that first half. So it's obvious early in the third quarter they're trying to run. They just aren't getting enough stops for the Bulls to make this running happen. So they're kind of stuck in the half court, which means that Drexler's kind of bailing them out. They desperately need his shot creation, and he's doing sort of star player stuff when a team is slogging. He is taking some really wacky shots that he shouldn't take. He's dribbling too much, um, but he's also just occasionally putting together the only buckets on some incredible singular plays, a little jumper over MJ, a swooping layup in the lane, and one. Like He's just doing this type of star things that we're familiar with stars doing in the modern era, which is, okay, give me the ball, we need a bucket. That's classic Drexler right now. And during this run, also, Buck Williams continues just to be helpful. He's just being a really helpful player. He's chasing down rebounds. He's active on defense. The goggles are flying. He's he's all over the place. Buck Williams is, is clearly coming out hard in game two after just he was d- disappearing game one in a blowout. But then Drexler picked up his fourth foul with eight minutes and 12 seconds left in the third quarter. And uh, Mike Fratello, who's calling the game, says, got to take him out. He says, the wrong reason to leave him in. The Blazers are up nine. And, uh, you know, you don't want to risk Drexler down the stretch. But from that point forward, the Blazers go cold and MJ starts just bawling. And Drexler is the only guy who scores during a bull surge that lasts about four minutes. He has five points. No one else in the Blazers can make a bucket. This is going to be a theme. 
And MJ just starts bawling. The dude is just shredding the Blazers from mid-range. He has 14 points in the third quarter. And when they start sending two guys and then eventually three guys at him, MJ says, cool, and starts turning into facilitator mode. He kind of manipulates the defense, sees the double team, drags guys away from, away from the paint where he wants them, and then makes these passes. He finds John Paxson for two threes. Uh, Paxson also hit another one in transition. This is a big stretch for the Bulls from the outside. And then late in the quarter, little used wing Bob Hansen checks in, and uh, MJ sets him up for a wide-open three in the corner. Blazers shot 7 of 20 in the third, and the Bulls win the quarter 32-16. They take a 77-70 lead into the fourth quarter. All of a sudden, all that goodwill, all the, the Blazers played so well in the first half. And here they are, down 7, entering the fourth quarter. And it doesn't get much better. From late in the third quarter until basically deep into the five minutes into the fourth, the Blazers only scored the free throw line going more than eight minutes without a made field goal. They missed nine straight shots during this stretch. Finally broken up when Terry Porter hit a baseline J off a great feed from Drexler, his only assist in the second half. He finished with eight with less than seven minutes left. The Blazers offense has disappeared. Five minutes into the fourth quarter, they finally make a shot. They had scored some points at the free throw line, stayed in the game. They're only down six at this point. Then they're down eight with four minutes and 36 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And they're kind of, we're getting into desperation mode and Terry Porter throws a pass to the wing that Scottie Pippen steps in front of and he looks like he's going for a breakaway dunk, but Drexler grabs his wrist. Clyde had picked up his fifth foul with about seven and a half minutes left, but there's no, you don't sit him out then. They were, they were trailing. They needed his offense. He'd been, the offense had totally stalled. He was the only guy who could score for, his, for a, a bit in there, so they had to leave him in the game. But with 436 left, he grabs Pippen's wrist, stops what would have been an easy fast break dunk, and, the, and Pippen hits both free throws. The Blazers are down 10 with four minutes and 36 seconds remaining in game two, basically going down... 0-2 in the series would have spelled their doom. Spoiler alert, they still lose this series. But they they uh, they Danny Ainge checks in, and this is the beginning of the Blazers keeping this one alive. So Pippen hits both free throws. Blazers are down 10. And Jordan comes down the court and is called for holding Terry Porter off the ball. And then he picks up a tech for complaining about it. So the Blazers basically get three points back immediately in about 15 seconds following being down 10. But they do give up another bucket. And now with four minutes left, they're down nine. And this is when the comeback starts in earnest. Down nine, four minutes left, on the road, game two of the NBA Finals. We'll come back in the third segment to talk about the art of a comeback, how the Blazers did it, and what might have been the modern reaction to a game like this had it been played in 2020. Okay, so the Blazers are down nine with four minutes to go in game two of the NBA Finals in the house that Jordan built. They get their first bucket when Jerome Kersey misses a mid-range jumper and then scrambles to get his own rebound through two Bulls defenders and scores, hits a layup. Bulls don't score, and Terry Porter comes down and hits a tough jumper over Jordan. Probably the beginning of Terry Porter really deciding that he needed to take over offensively in this one. 
And then after MJ splits a pair of free throws, Buck Williams comes down and just bowls over Scottie Pippen. Pippen flopped. Reminded me of modern basketball. He kind of, he knew Buck what Buck Williams was going to do. He kind of leaned into him with his lower body and threw his upper body down. He drew the charge. A great flop by Pippen. Bulls come down and Jordan has to, Jordan ends up airballing a three. Blazers defense is really locked in at this point. Uh, they're they're in scramble mode, but they're playing incredibly hard. And Jordan had to take a, a really tough three that he, he came up way short on. And the Blazers push the other way, and Terry Porter draws a foul. Away from the rim, uh, Bulls are in the bonus at this point, and Porter hits both free throws. Again, Jordan comes down, he's trying to get into stuff. At this point, Scottie Pippen hasn't hasn't scored in 4,000 years. It's only MJ. So he's trying to do stuff. He creates and gets Paxson a wide-open two. Tough miss. Blazers come the other way. Danny Ainge scooping, scooping layup in the lane as they go in mini transition to score and take the lead. Excuse me, not take the lead, but get a bucket. Then Paxson misses another one. This one was a much harder shot. And the Blazers come down and uh, they run a pick and roll. Kersey screens for Porter. Porter to Ainge. Ainge to Kersey, who's still rolling down. Dunk. That caps a 13-3 run. And the game is now tied with 45 seconds left. But Michael Jordan is about to get the ball at home, tie ball game, under a minute to go. You know what happens. Phil Jackson calls a timeout. Come out of the timeout. Scottie Pippen playing point guard of sorts. Immediately finds Jordan inside for a layup. A little cross screen for Jordan across the paint. Pippen hit him just as he came around the screen. Great pass. Jordan scores off the glass on the left side. Bulls up 31, or excuse me, Bulls up 97-95 with 31.2 seconds remaining. Chicago is rocking. Rick Adelman calls a timeout. Rick Adelman resplendent in a brown suit and an ugly tie for this one. Very 1992 look, my guy. So what, are the, so what do the Blazers do out of the timeout? They run a side pick and roll for Terry Porter and Kevin Duckworth. This is the modern NBA in action. What do you do when you need a bucket? You give the ball to your best scorer and you run a pick and roll for him, usually on a cleared outside. Give him space to run a pick and roll. Maybe in the modern NBA, you run a high pick and roll with guys in the corners. But in 1992, you run a straight up side pick and roll. Double team follows Porter. He takes a dribble probably just long enough to keep the double team with him. Flips it over to Duckworth, who hits a 12-footer before Horace Grant can rotate over. Bulls go 1-4 flat the other way. We're tied at 97. Bulls come out, clear out for MJ. About 13 seconds left. He dribbles down the clock, gets to the right elbow, and misses a jumper. Headed overtime. Fratello said he could tell by Jordan's body language that he didn't like the balance on the shot. Um... What a read by Fratello. He could tell that in real time. But we go to overtime. And MJ hits the jumper right to begin overtime. And then the Blazers respond with like a truly emblematic moment. Uh, They almost turn the ball over. Then they do turn the ball over. But Danny Ainge tracks it down in the backcourt, steals it back, tries to make a pass. It gets deflected. Loose ball scooped up. And Kevin Duckworth gets a dunk off a pass from Ainge. It was the sign of what was about to happen. Uh, next Blazers trip down, 
Danny Ainge hits a pull-up to give them their first lead since the first quarter. Duck adds a jump hook, and then Jerome Kersey fouls out, and the Blazers are forced to close with Porter, Ainge, Cliff Robinson, Buck Williams, and Kevin Duckworth. Pippen just can't buy a bucket in OT. Uh, Jordan is getting so much attention, and the and the Bulls role players haven't scored. Other than that third quarter when the Bulls role players really stepped up, when it was mostly just Paxton hitting three threes, uh, the, the Blazers' defense is totally keying on Jordan. And he's making some of the right reads, including just finding Pippen for a couple. One wide-open 18-footer that Pippen clanks, another that a couple more where Pippen just passes him up. The Bulls' offense is totally stalling. And the Blazers are playing with energy. Uh, Duckworth finds Ainge for a bucket on a cut to the rim after Buck Williams grabbed a rebound when he was definitely out of bounds, but, you know, there's no replay in 1992. Then after the Bulls spit a player free throws, Danny Ainge sets up Terry Porter for a huge three with a minute and 30 seconds left. The Blazers were 0 for 12 from three. They had gone 1 for 6 from three in the first and the first game, they were 1 for 18 in the series, and Terry Porter steps up and nails a three with a minute and 30 seconds left in overtime. Bulls then miss and decide to press, and that leads to an Ainge run out, and he gets an easy layup. The Blazers have an eight-point lead with a minute and three seconds left in overtime. Ball game. Your Blazers are going to win this bad boy. Ainge had 9 in OT, and the Blazers were 7 of 8 in in the overtime, the Bulls were two of seven in overtime. MJ aced a jumper to open the open the overtime period, and Pippen made an unguarded layup in the final 40 seconds when the Blazers weren't def- weren't defending. In between, Chicago missed five shots. The Blazers win 115-104. This was a truly special one for Portland. Uh, Clyde, who didn't play for the final nine minutes, four minutes of regulation and overtime, still finished with 26.7 rebounds, eight assists. Terry Porter was magnificent, 24 points and three dimes on eight of 17 shooting. Buck Williams, 19 and 14. He gets my game ball. How fantastic. Duckworth had 14, eight and four dimes. Jerome Kersey before fouling out, 12, eight and four. Real balance. Danny Ainge off the bench, 17 on seven of 10 shooting and four assists. What a game from Ainge. MJ ends with 39 on 6 of 32 shooting, 0 of 4 from 3. He did have 10 assists. Scotty Pippen went 6 of 19 and had 5 turnovers. At halftime, they were talking about how Scotty was dealing with an injured wrist. That was the that was the that what the broadcast was talking about. Whether it was an injured wrist or just a terrible night, Pippen was bad in this one. Bill Cartwright had a nice game. Uh, Horace Grant had a nice game for the Bulls. They didn't get much off the bench. Uh, Cliff Levingston had a nice first half, but didn't really play much in the second half as they went small with Bob Hansen off the bench. Uh, they just, Jordan was really good and they probably needed everyone else to be better. Uh, the Blazers pretty much played a, t- a tight seven-man rotation. Uh, Enos Watley played five minutes in this game, but it's basically seven guys with Ainge and Robinson coming off the bench to join the starters. Blazers won the one OT 18 to seven. It's a fun game. But but one of the things I thought about is uh, the sort of the nature of how these games would play out in the 24-7 sports media world nowadays. I think the two big talking points on the sort of morning scream at each other shows uh, would be that the Blazers are better without Clyde Drexler. 
pointing to how good Danny Ainge was when Drexler went out of the game, forgetting that the Drexler kept the Blazers afloat in that third quarter when they and early fourth when they just could not score whatsoever. I can also imagine one of those graphics like Jordan with Drexler as his primary defender, 22 points. Jordan with Terry Porter as his primary defender and Porter guarded him mostly down the stretch. It was Ainge and Porter once Drexler fouled out, you know, seven points on two of 13 shooting and Ainge held Jordan scoreless and all this stuff. Um, it, it, it just wasn't true. Drexler, Drexler just had one of those star type games where he didn't, he didn't play very well, but he soaked up a lot of possessions that the Blazers really needed him. So I would be mad at the, um, Oh, comment to Terriot or whatever for dragging Drexler after this one. But I guarantee that's what would happen. The other thing that would happen, and I, and I feel really confident in saying this, in light of the Charles Barkley interview at halftime, which is kind of why I brought this up, was we would be talking about sort of the Twitter sphere and the and the the yell at each other shows, debate shows, would be talking about trading Scottie Pippen for Charles Barkley. You know, Jordan has this monster game one and wins the game basically on his own. He has a really nice game two, but needed some help and didn't get it from Scotty. And I guarantee that is it time for Barkley's Barkley the solution for the Bulls would be the talk after game two. It just feels perfect. It feels perfect for the era that that would be what we, we'd be at. I really enjoyed watching this game. I'll tweet out the YouTube link that I uh, watched when I send out the tweet from the uh, Locked on Blazers Twitter account. Uh, you can find it online. You can just search uh, Western Conference, or you can search NBA Finals Game 2. Uh, there's a couple different sources of it. The one I watched had more of the broadcast, which I was really uh, interested in because I thought you could get a real feel for the time. Uh, I've got a couple of more of these planned. Uh, the NBA League Pass has two classic Blazer games. They don't show as much for the broadcast. They don't give you the like the full sort of like cultural experience of it as the games that are just ripped off old VHS recordings on YouTube. But I got I'll, I got a couple planned there. Um, I have another one that I found of a of another classic Blazer era. So I've got at least four of these Blazer watches coming in the next couple weeks. If you enjoyed this, let me know. If you think that. This could be improved or you want me to tweet out the link to the, what I'm going to watch beforehand so you can have an idea. Let me know. Like, let's uh, shoot me an email, uh, lockedonblazerspod at gmail, or just tweet at me, Mike G. Rich, and tell me how to make this better for you. Uh, I think this was a fun little uh, trip back in time. I didn't live in Oregon and I was too young to have appreciated the 1992 NBA Finals. Certainly know a lot about these teams from uh, my time around the league and whatnot, uh, but I really enjoyed these sort of flashback in time. I hope you did too. Lockdown Blazers isn't going anywhere. The NBA looks like it's going to be on hold for a long time, but this podcast won't be. We'll be here watching old games, talking about the news and the like. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it where they already get podcasts. Anywhere. Just search us, Lockdown Blazers. Subscribe. Leave us a review if you're feeling so kind. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.